So the passage of Scripture I am sharing from is from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 1. So that's on page 1,143. And the Bible's provided in the chairs. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Let's go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, for your truth, for your scriptures that are breathed out by you, inspired, sufficient, complete, inerrant. Father, we pray that you would guide us into your word, into your truth. We pray for wisdom and discernment through the power of your Holy Spirit that dwells within us. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. The passage of scripture that we're looking at ends in verse 11, so that we would not be out witted, out-strategized, out-thought by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. We are not ignorant of his designs. We see throughout the scriptures the depictions of Satan. We see where he is described as the father of all lies. All he can do is lie. All that he can do is twist and distort the truth into falsehood. His whole desire is to kill, steal, and destroy. So that's his whole purpose. To lie, manipulate, tear down, cause division, pull apart the things that God is bringing together, and try to bring together the things that, are, that God is pulling apart. 
So everything Satan does is in complete opposition to the truth. In complete opposition to the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. See, the Apostle Paul is saying we can't be outwitted. We understand his purposes and what he is about. And part of it here is as he works through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and we know that 1st and 2nd Corinthians are not the only letters that he wrote to the church in Corinth. They happen to be the only two that we have. There is at least one and possibly several others that he also wrote. But what we have in 1st and 2nd Corinthians is the Apostle Paul is pushing back against these two strategies of Satan. Remember, Ephesians 2 talks about our great enemies, the world, the fallen world around us, the devil and demonic, the powers and principalities that are in opposition to God, and our fallen flesh, our fallen flesh. So in 1 and 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul continues to lift up the truth of the gospel, to lift up Jesus Christ, and to stand in opposition to all the strategies of the devil and of the world and to address our fallen flesh that continues to seek to pull us away from God and into sin. So that's much of 1 and 2 Corinthians. But the Apostle Paul here is focused on against these two ways that the devil most disrupts the church. Two ways. And one way is this. The devil can come in and try to manipulate a church and say this. Well, you should be a loving people. Which means to be a loving people, you should not speak out against certain things. You should not call certain things sin. Because that is not caring or helpful to people. And also it may make you look judgmental to the world at large. So we see that strategy all around us where churches no longer say certain things are immoral or certain things are wrong, even though the Bible is very clear. So that's one of the strategies that the devil uses. The Apostle Paul continues throughout 1st and 2nd Corinthians to lift up God's moral law and say, no, God has made clear what is holy and what is true. And if you live in opposition to that, you are on the road to destruction. And God's wrath is still on you. You need forgiveness. You need to turn away from that sin and turn to Christ. And that's what Paul continues to do. The other strategy of the devil that the Apostle Paul continues to fight against in First and Second Corinthians is the devil comes in and he says, well, if I can't unite everyone around this sense of there's nothing really wrong, that everyone can decide what's good for themselves. If I can't unite people around that false thing, then the devil tries to just bring division. Division. If I could have everyone in the church fighting against everyone else, then the devil again sees himself as having a victory. The church gets weakened and torn apart. See, the Apostle Paul keeps emphasizing Unity, unity, unity in truth. That's how that's how that balances. 
You can only be truly united if you're not united in Jesus Christ. If you're united in the truth. So there's the two things that are the two main themes throughout First and Second Corinthians. Truth and unity. How we build each other up is we build each other up in the truth of God laid out in His Word. And we are united of one heart and one mind and one soul and one strength in Jesus Christ. So that's how the Apostle Paul keeps directing these things. So at verse 11, when he says, not being outwitted by Satan, because we are not ignorant of his designs. That's what he's talking about. Those, those two aspects of trying to bring division or trying to downplay truth and substitute truth with whatever cultural relativism or whatever you decide for yourself. No. No, that's where Paul pushes back. But at the heart of this passage and verses 1 through 11, what he's focusing on here is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Remember, as I said in the children's moment, the two main things in this, in this specific passage are the need for discipline. We have to be disciplined. God disciplines those whom he loves the Apostle Paul is disciplining the church in Corinth because he loves them. He wants them to know what is true. He wants them to live lives of freedom, lives of joy, lives of obedience and holiness in God because that's true life. It isn't that the Apostle Paul wants to discipline them just to make things more difficult for them. No. He wants to discipline them so that they have life and love and truth in Jesus Christ. So that they are all the more free from the things of sin and the things of the world and the things of the flesh. All the more free from the schemes of the devil that would try to continue to take them and push them back down into the mire of their sin and rebellion and disobedience to God. When you vacation like we do, you go a lot of days without a shower. That's how we do it. And there's this one time after running for five days and Bryce and Zion, this and that. Have mercy. So if we had an opportunity for a shower, oh, it, was, it was painful. That's how long it had been, but it was glorious. So you have this wonderful opportunity to, to cleanse yourself. And, and I actually... Broke out a new outfit. Wow, this is, you know, after six days, broke out. And I, I put this new outfit on, and here we are, and go out. And it was within the hour, I found myself on this hike, having to slide down this dirty slope. Within the hour, I was dirtier than I had been before, right out of that wonderful shower, that opportunity to clean up. it's amazing no matter how you're seeking and growing and cleaning in the truths of christ you have those three enemies the world the devil and flesh that keep trying to take you and plunge you back in plunge you back into sin plunge you back into disobedience plunge you back into rebellion so the apostle paul says don't be outwitted 
So we're going to be looking specifically at this key component of not being outwitted by being a people who discipline for the purpose of reconciliation. That's the purpose. That we discipline, we speak the truth, we lift up the truth of God for the purpose of restoring people, of people finding forgiveness, of people coming to repentance, and people being reunited with the people of God. We do not discipline for the purpose of throwing people away. We discipline for the purpose of people becoming made new. That's the key. That's the focus. This is that last characteristic of the ten that we've been looking at of a healthy church. And where we are right now is accountability. That's it. That's number ten. This is our last characteristic. And true accountability is one where we are willing to speak the truth in love. And we are going to stand for the truth. And at times that means discipline. But it's always for the hope and prayer and purpose that that person would be restored into the truth. We discipline that someone would be made into the image of Jesus Christ, not that they would be broken and thrown away. That's very important. Because that's another strategy that the devil has waged against the church. And that's the one that the Apostle Paul is most specifically speaking against here in this passage, is the devil can come in and say, well, you want to be a people that stands for the truth. Well, the devil would say, well, I will make you such a people that stands for the truth that there's no love anymore. And that discipline becomes a way of tearing, destroying, and dividing in itself. And that's the one where the Apostle Paul is countering most specifically in this passage if you look at verses one through three the apostle paul talks about not wanting to make another painful visit he'd rather have rejoicing rather than pain at his coming this is a difficult situation remember paul had lived for over a year and a half in corinth he had taught day and night the things of god he had He had lifted up God's word, and now you see what has taken place in this church. If you go through 1 Corinthians, and you see the issues that the Apostle Paul is speaking against, you see what's taken place in this church. In chapters 1 through 4 of 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul speaks out against the divisions in the church, where some are saying, well, I follow Paul, and others say, I follow Apollos, and others, I follow Cephas, and some even said, I follow Jesus Christ. A little more accurate. Then chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is speaking out because there's rampant immorality in the church, and there's an example of immorality that is so shocking that even the pagans would be shocked by it. And then there he talks about purging an unrepentant, continual sinner from your midst to purge them, to hand them over to Satan in the hopes that that would jar them to life. And even though their flesh may be destroyed, that they would come to faith and come to repentance. He even says not to even associate with a brother in Christ 
who is unrepentantly engaged in sexual immorality, greed, idolatry, revelry, drunkenness, who is a swindler. He goes on to chapter 6 to add to that list those who practice homosexuality, thieves. He says people who continue unrepentantly in these behaviors will not inherit the kingdom of God. They have no place with God. But if there's repentance and forgiveness, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ and children of God who have forgiveness and eternal life. And that's how he ends chapter 6. He says, such were some of you. But through faith and repentance and the grace given in Jesus Christ, you have been washed and sanctified and justified. See, there's that balance where the Apostle Paul lifts up clearly God's truth and word that if you live those lifestyles, if you live in those ways without repentance, without regard to Jesus Christ and His law, you will be destroyed. You will not have the kingdom of God. You will experience eternal conscious torment. Yet it doesn't matter how far or how deep or how mired you are in those sins. If you seek repentance and you trust and believe in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. You're a new person. That's the truth and holiness of God and the grace and forgiveness of God. And the church must continue to lift up both those things. If you lose one or the other of those, you've, you've lost the gospel. So this is how he develops this in 1 Corinthians. The church is so divided that there is lawsuits amongst believers. The Lord's Supper, you see in, in chapter 11, the Lord's Supper is becoming a gluttonous, drunken, wild party with idolatry. And chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians shows that worship had largely fallen into a chaotic, trying to be the most displaying and showy with speaking in tongues or other sensational gifts that people weren't even being built up in the truth. So 1 Corinthians shows a church of deep divisions and conflict and immorality where you can see much of the strategies of Satan were being very effective. And the church was in tatters. So here we see 2 Corinthians in this chapter, and it begins with the Apostle Paul not wanting to make another painful visit. He's hoping and praying that through his letters and through sending Titus and Timothy and other representatives, that this church will come to repentance and will come to the truth and will stand up for the truth of God so that when he does come, he can rejoice. He can celebrate what God has done in their midst. That he can come with tears of rejoicing rather than tears of anger and frustration. That's the hope. That's the prayer. And that captures the heart of the Apostle Paul with this church. 
That's the theme throughout 2 Corinthians, the letter we're working on today. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 11, how he closes out this letter. He talks about examining yourself, test yourself. And what is the test? What is the examination? What is it that you have to pass? It is this. Is Jesus Christ in you? That's the examination. That's the test. If Jesus Christ is in you, then there will be new life. There will be a life of repentance, of faith, of hope, the fruit of the Spirit. There will be a life of forgiveness and seeking after holiness. And at the end of 2 Corinthians 13, that Jesus Christ is in you means there will be a life that you are building each other up in the truth rather than tearing down each other through gossip or hostility or divisions. A holiness, a building up, a seeking after the things of God. Why? Because that's who God is. That's what 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says is, so that the God of all love and peace will be with you. So if God is a God of love and peace, how much more should the body of Christ, his children, be a people of love and peace? So that's, that's what the Apostle Paul is working here with these people. You see the Apostle Paul's heart in verses 4 and 5. He talks about in 4, I wrote out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears. You see where he's talking about, he wrote in 1 Corinthians and 2, these strong words speaking out against their divisions, against their immorality, calling them to repentance, calling them to unity, calling them to faith. He does this with a heart broken that they would find healing and truth in Jesus Christ. He does this with tears because of his love for them. And then in verse 6, we see the, the turning point. We see the rejoicing and we see the hope and the continual teaching of the Apostle Paul. We do not fully know what sin the person was engaged in that the Apostle Paul now speaks of in verse 6 about the punishment of the majority is enough. We do not know specifically. We do not know if that was in 1 Corinthians where he talks about the man engaged in what he described as an unbelievable immorality and he even requires that the church purge this person, excommunicate them. We do not know if this passage is speaking about that. We also don't know, possibly it could be one of the false teachers that came in and challenged the Apostle Paul's apostleship. And that that person, through being excommunicated or a strong discipline, that they came to repentance. And now the Apostle Paul is urging them to forgive them. We, we don't know. The Apostle Paul isn't specific here in addressing that. But what we do know is this. The pattern he's establishing here is this. 
the church in humility and boldness lifts up the love and truth of God and lifts up these truths. And we speak these truths into each other's lives. And where one of us is fallen into immorality and unrepentance and disobedience, we must bring discipline and love and humility. But as soon as that person comes to repentance, we <laughs> rejoice. It's time for a potluck. It's time for a, a celebration. We, with tears streaming out of our eyes, we embrace this person and welcome them back. It's the prodigal son. That's what the Apostle Paul's getting at here. So we must, if we love this person, hold them to discipline. If we love them. But also, if we love them and they come to repentance, then we, like the Father, as soon as we see them come limping back with repentance and the desire of obedience, we burst through the doors. We run out and we embrace them. And we bring them back in. That's what's so crucial here. This is how the Apostle Paul is saying, don't be outwitted by Satan with accountability. We must hold each other accountable to the truth and we must be quick to forgive where there is repentance. And we must be always patient to bear one another and to walk alongside one another in all humility, and in all grace. So that's what he gets at in verse 6. For such a one, so here we have someone who was engaged either in false teaching or in one of those immoralities in his list that if you continue unrepentant in these areas, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So whether it was that or a false teacher or someone who was causing division, we do not know. But what we do know is that the church actually did it. They actually did discipline. Lovingly, caringly. They actually disciplined the person. And the Apostle Paul is getting at that this person came to repentance. It worked. And it worked. So what does he emphasize now? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Overwhelm that person with forgiveness and grace that they know that they have been restored, that they are God's child, forgiven and restored. Flood them with grace and forgiveness. And that's what he says in verse 7. Turn to forgive and Continue to remind them of how they messed up. Oh, is that what it says? No. No, it says, turn to forgive and comfort them. What a beautiful, beautiful word. Comfort them. This is throughout Paul's letters. We see it in Galatians 6. Galatians 6 is another powerful passage where he talks about this, this balance of discipline and forgiveness. 
In Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, I, I read these to you now. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, that's a good, good question, you who are spiritual, remember that whole make sure you've addressed the log in your own eye before you deal with the speck in the other? Make sure you're doing it out of a heart, a motivation of love and restoration. This is what getting at those who are spiritual. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Same thing in Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. That's the danger of saying the Lord's Prayer. I warn you. After I do a congregational prayer, I lead us in the Lord's Prayer. And every time you pray that, you pray a dangerous thing. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those. I. Do you realize every time we sing, say the Lord's Prayer, we're saying, God, forgive me as I forgive other people? It's a dangerous prayer. A very important prayer. Vitally at the core of who we are in Christ. So we see this understanding of bearing one another. And that's what he's getting at and focused at in this passage. Now you can look along this congregation and you can try to size up who you could physically bear. You look around, oh, yeah. Maybe I could carry them for a little bit, or you know, I don't know if I'm going to get too far carrying that person. If you think it's difficult carrying each other, bearing each other's weight physically, that's nothing compared to emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and all those different dynamics. But that's what we're called to do. How can we be called to do that? Because Jesus Christ comes and he bears the sins of all those who will believe in him. He bears those sins on the cross. And he takes the wrath that we deserve because of those sins on himself. So that rather than the wrath we deserve, we hear these words, forgiven, justified. Made alive. My child. Loved. So if that's the example we have in Jesus Christ on the cross, how much more are we to bear one another as we humbly follow his example in forgiveness and love? Just as was written in Colossians, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. 
He says here in 2 Corinthians 10, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive in the presence of Christ. So how do we keep ourselves from being outwitted by Satan? Then we are to be a people who love the truth. And we are to be a people who love one another. And we are a people who are to hold each other accountable in humility and boldness, in discipline before the Lord. And we are to be a people who are so ready, like the father of the prodigal, looking out, longing for, praying for that lost lamb to come to repentance and come back. And we don't wait for them to finally come this way. No, when we see that they've repented in turn, we run to them and embrace them in grace. That is what accountability is all about. And that's the example and person of Jesus Christ for us to follow. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his tears, his heart, his desire that the church in Corinth would turn away from immorality, that this church would seek unity rather than division, that this church would stand in opposition to false teachers and false doctrines, that this church would bring proper discipline and that it would be quick to forgive where there is repentance. That they would be a people to bear one another in love and truth. Father, just as this is the desire and hope of the Apostle Paul for the church in Corinth, this is our desire for anchor of hope. That we too would be a people of love, of peace, of accountability and truth, of unity in your Son, Jesus Christ, and who long and desire to see each other built up into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. Let that be our hope. Let that be our prayer. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.